Plundergrounds Episode 160, Spell Effect Adjudication and Free Kriegspiel. Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and Dungeon Delve, Science Fiction, watch yourselves. Hey, I just wanted to add a note up front to say that aside from being a bit of a Frankenstein show in terms of using different mics and setups to complete it, it's also not my best show in terms of mic discipline, so I'm not very careful about filler words and enunciation. Uh, my Hoosier vowels get uh, get in the way here a little bit. <laughs> and Despite all that, though, I think it's pretty listenable and that's, there's some interesting ideas in here, and I hope you find that true as well. I've tried to record this segment uh, a couple times already and have failed because of mic issues and rambling and whatever, so we'll let's see if I can get it done this time. Uh, I may sound a little bit different because I'm in a different setup, but uh, it, that's just, um, yeah, I won't explain it because it would just be boring. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it's nice and clear. Uh, we have been playing Old School Essentials every Sunday afternoon for some time. Uh, I was jamming for a while, and now JJ is jamming to do a little mystery run, and then we're going to um, probably take the chair again. And we're really enjoying it. Um, and a, a couple situations came up in the game and I'll try not to dive too much into our fiction as much as I'd love to because it's a really interesting world and it's kind of group built, if you will, and we're beginning to reincorporate a lot of things and, and really build some history and texture. But um, I'll just try to kind of describe the situations. One of them was uh, when uh, to, uh, there was a fight at the mouth of an alleyway and uh, the relevant factors here at the alley was about 15 feet wide uh, one of the characters in the party cast a web spell on two individuals that were that were coming at them to, uh, from the alley, and uh, the the JJ asks, "Well, how do you you know how do you anchor your web spell? Where do you anchor it?" And that that question we're going to come back to because it was it was that's a it's one of those questions that kind of calls into calls into play uh, a lot of different factors, right? Uh, so. The Paul, who's playing the, the character in question here, said that he anchored one side against the alley wall and one against the ground. And so we're all kind of visualizing now like this, uh, you know, kind of triangular swoop of spider webs. And uh, so JJ, you know, adjudicated that the, that the people that he hit with that were entangled. They couldn't move, but they had their arms free. Right, because it just kind of, or like at least one arm free. So they were only partially entangled. Okay. Um, moving on a little bit, because we'll, we'll, there's two situations and I want, they're kind of related. Uh, they had this body in uh, outside of the alley that we were trying to keep away from these two individuals that were in the alley. And uh, so Paul summoned up a, a floating disc and rolled the body under the floating disc. And then we got around the corner and he made the body invisible. Now, later on, we got to a situation where we were trying to get this, this um, uh, wounded person some help, and she was still invisible, and uh, we were trying to decide how she becomes visible again because the, the wording of the spell didn't really allow for her to just become visible, right? So here's where we get to the—these are the two situations I want to talk about and how they're related. Um, so in Old School Essentials, when you cast Invisibility, we're just going to go by the letter of the spell here. When you cast Invisibility, 
uh, you, you cast it on yourself or an object or another person. Um, it's permanent until the thing that is invisible attacks or casts a spell. Okay? Well, we've got an unconscious person. She's not going to be attacking or casting a spell. So uh, there's this open question here now hanging in the air, like uh, a wizard can't cancel their own spell. And, uh, you know, can they? Um, it doesn't say that they can. And I, and I get really tired of arguments, by the way. This is a little bit of a, a windowing out. But I really don't like when people argue one way or another at a table based on, and this didn't happen in our game, so don't get me wrong, but I've heard it a number of times. When people either, especially in miniatures war games, I hear this one a lot in miniatures war games, but some people take the stance that if the rules don't say you can do it, then you can't. And other people take the stance that the rules, if the rules don't say, if the rules say you, uh, let's see, if the rules don't say that you can't do it, then you can. So in other words, unless the rules prohibit it, you can do it. That's one stance. And the other stance is, unless the rules explicitly say that you can do something, you can't do that thing. And I, I don't find either of those positions helpful unless the rules have a ground rule that states, like, you know, so like in Magic the Gathering, some cards say you can do a thing and some cards say you can't do a thing. And um, in Magic, they have a rule that says can't, uh, you know, overrides can. So if, if I have a, um, a card on the table that says that um, I can cast uh, all spells as instance, and somebody else has a card on the table that says um, that the opponent can't cast spells on their turn, then I, uh, even though I can cast a spell as an instant on that player's turn, I can't cast a spell on that turn, right? So there's the can and the can't, like, might butt up against each other, but the can't wins. Well, that's because they have an explicit rule for that, because they need it. It's more like a board game. But in role-playing games, there's not usually some sort of ground rule that says, you know, well, the rules are so explicitly written that, <laughs> that there's a default one way or the other. So let's ignore that for a minute. Um, there's just nothing stated about how... A, uh, a character would become visible again, uh, or an unconscious character would become visible again. And it, it calls into all kinds of, of thoughts. Like if I made a, uh, you know, a light source, uh, one of the things about visibility is if you cast it on a lit candle, let's say the light is still visible, but the candle itself and the flame isn't visible, just the light that it produces. So if, I, um, <laughs> if I'm a wizard and I make a burning candle invisible, okay, the light is still shining, the candle's invisible. Somebody comes along and kills me. I fall over dead. Okay. Does the candle ever become visible again? No. The answer is no in, in, as the game works, right? Um, if I'm standing there, can I decide that the candle, candle becomes visible again? Well, the rules don't say I can, uh, so we don't really know. At any rate, we, we made a ruling there that wizards can end their own spells. Okay. Easy enough. But it has broader implications. So when we, we brought that up, Paul rightly sort of, you know, said, um, well, now hang on, you know, because, because there, there, is, there is a way, like a, a higher level wizard could cancel the spell, right, with uh, negate magic or whatever. But he was like saying, okay, we're setting a precedent here, so whatever we do, we have to think about carefully because it will affect other situations in the future, and he was right. So that one was a fairly, you know, we got, we got the wording of that one down. And then I got to thinking about the web spell from earlier. And by the text of a web spell, it creates a 10 by 10, it fills a 10 by 10 area. Okay, so you're imagining a cube of, of 10 feet wide, 10 feet deep, 10 feet high. 
And if I were playing a 5th edition game and I were out in the middle of a, a courtyard, let's say, and I cast web and the, and the spell said it fills a 10 by 10 by 10, um, I don't think anybody's going to ask me where that spell gets anchored. And more to the point, I think play, if you as the GM said, uh, well, how are you going to anchor that spell? Like, it'll cover a 10 by 10 area on the ground, but it's not going to rise very high. Um, if a GM brought that up, I think the player might get annoyed. Like, because there's, and di- groups differ, right? And it's not like 5th edition says it has to be one way or another. It doesn't dictate group style. But I kind of feel like the the style of that game is such that people uh, who play it count on um, you know, there are things to work as written, right? And if the GM says, like, oh, it doesn't work like you think it does, it it, it kind of breaks some kind of trust that's built into the game, perhaps. And that can happen in any system. But I think it's in more tactical systems, it's actually really important. Well, so in this case, you know, um, the magic user uh, could have argued, like, hey, my spell says it's a 10 by 10 by 10, right? Like, uh, I don't need to anchor it anywhere. It just sits there in the middle of the alleyway like a freaking Minecraft block, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, we could have talked about that. But th- the player went along with it, and so now we have this precedent, and I think it's a good one, is that uh, spell effects are relevant to, to like, the fictionally appropriate um, circumstance, or the, the fictional circumstances, Right. So there's sort of a fictional positioning that goes on. And I think those two things are related, which is we've realized that in old school essentials, there's all kinds of white space in the game, meaning there's there's a lot of things in the rules that aren't nailed down. And we like that about the system. We like having a very light system and making rulings as needed in play to, to handle things and then not worrying about anything else, right? Um, not needing to know hundreds of pages of rules or not not needing to know that whenever something comes up, we have to go look them up because it's in the rules somewhere. We just don't know it. Um, we like that sort of freedom and fluidity that comes with the game. And But I do think it's important to kind of talk with your group and decide, like, are we playing, uh, regardless of the fictional situation, are we playing things that are written as written, right? Like if a spell says it's 10 by 10 by 10 um, and it doesn't say that this, the web has to be anchored anywhere, then does it literally fill a 10 by 10 by 10 block? Like, you know, this strange geometric shape like right out there in the middle of nowhere? Um, and if that's the case, then that's the case, right? Magic. It's magic. But uh, for us, it was more seemly to take the kind of fictional position and say, like, yeah, yeah, that's that's its best case scenario. Like if you're in a hallway that's that's uh, you know 10 feet wide by 10 feet tall by yeah 10 feet tall and it goes at least 10 feet deep then you cast that spell and that's how much it fills um, but then one thing nice about I think the fictional aspect of this is uh, it, there's other situations where you can where it can do more or less depending on the situation right so it does less in this alleyway because there's no place to anchor the web but if I'm in um, if I'm in a narrow hall five feet wide by eight feet tall by however long, right? And I cast a web spell and I say, well, you know, best case scenario, it fills a 10 by 10 by 10. So can I get, like, because it's only filling five wide and eight tall, can I make it go deeper than 10 feet? And I I feel like you could, right? Like the web, or could I make it denser? Like the web rebounds in, you know, there's more material than needs to be to fill that space. So it's like really dense. Um, You know, you can kind of play around with it a little bit. Otherwise, you know, in like a um, uh, rules as written or, or as a, a very literal game. Let's call it literal, I think, is better than w- rules as written. In a very literal game, 
uh, well, it could fill a 10 by 10 by 10, but there's not that much space there. So you only go uh, 10 feet deep, eight feet high, five feet wide. That's all you get, right? Uh, that's as that's as much room as, as is available for that web spell. And even though there's more of the spell, there's more webbing, um, it just goes to waste, right? Any excess goes to waste. It's, it's, it's all kind of fascinating stuff. <laughs> and maybe too, like, fit, fiddly for most people. But I, I think it bears thinking about, and at least just setting a default position how your group is going to play things, Right. Like, you know, like, okay, it's 10 by 10 by 10, but that morphs, right? Like in a smaller space, it'll go longer or, or whatever. And if, and if it's out in the open, it can't really do anything other than just make a patch on the ground. Okay, cool. Um, that's all I want to say about spell effects and fictional positioning. And uh, Cody called in with a question about something that's going on in the kind of, um, for lack of a better label, OSR circles these days called the Free Kriegspiel Movement. Or three, Free Kriegspiel, it's got an R there. I don't know if it's Revival Revolution. Here we go again. <laughs> so he'll explain it, and then I'll talk about it for a few minutes. Hey, Ray, it's Cody. Long time no speak, man. Um, I was just wondering if um, you have heard of the Free Kriegspiel, Kriegspiel, Kriegspiel uh, Revolution. Um it's uh, I came across it the other day, I think Ben Milton's newsletter that he sends out every month or every quarter or whatever it is. Mentioned it, I hopped on their Discord, started looking around, and I was just wondering if you'd heard of it, and if um, if you have, if you could give us your thoughts on it. This is something I think that, at least when I looked into it, um, was very Ray Otis, uh, reminded me a lot of you. Um, so, yeah, I was just wondering, and um, I guess if not, maybe you could look into it and let us know your thoughts. Thanks. And I guess specifically the thing I saw, Ray, that reminded me um, or, or prompted me to ask you was this comment I saw on the Discord. Um, it says, okay, I started writing my game from a standpoint, quote, what if D&D slash RPG never existed, end quote, or at least, quote, you only heard about the idea of RPG and now you're explaining it to your friends, end quote. And, the, and then the other person goes on to say that this is exactly the tact um, I'm taking. I'm starting with, it's a game about going on an adventure and overcoming obstacles along the way. What mechanics do I need to make this plausible? The players are assuming the role of characters in an open-ended story. What do they know about, what do they need to know to play those characters? And I'll call back with the rest. Uh, so he goes on to say, no six stats, no alignment, no classes, no polyhedral dice. I'm assuming I've never heard of those in this exercise. As though D&D doesn't exist, I have paper, some D6s, and an idea for a war game about playing pretend. It's an interesting exercise. All right, Ray, that's all I have for you, bud. Um, hope you're doing well. Hope you and your family are fine. And um, yeah, man, keep on keeping on. Okay, so yeah, that does sound a little like me. <laughs> At least something I'd be interested in. I don't love the name. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of like, uh, well, so let's let me start from a different place. Um, first of all, this is a, a kind of an Arnesonian idea, right? Meaning, what if the, what would the game have looked like if um, Arneson, Dave Arneson, had designed it instead of Gary, 
right? Uh, if he hadn't used chainmail at all, which he didn't really use it much anyway, it doesn't seem like uh, for Blackmore. Um, and he just kind of grew out of wargaming into fantasy role-playing games by another route, either by Dave Arneson's route or by, um, you know, like the, was the guy Lynn Pant who did the, um, who did the, before Chainmail came out with a fantasy miniatures set of rules, a guy named Lynn Pant, and I think he was, I can't remember where he was from, Pennsylvania, I think, um, did a, a, a war game based on the Battle of Five Armies and had fantasy troops and the whole bit. So Chainmail didn't even come up with the idea of fantasy miniatures first, right? Everything's derived from something else, and I think we're kind of comfortable with that, not just in our hobby, but everywhere, right? Originality is relative. Okay, well, so what would what would the game look like if we, if we sort of had a redo, if we went back to the very roots and said, well, we know war games, we've messed around with war games, and we know fantasy, we've read Jack Vance and Tolkien and um, other greats, you know, Fafford the Grey Mouser by Fritz Lieber. We've read, we've read a number of fantasy things uh, that would give us ideas about how to create a role-playing game. And we've got this idea for, a role, you know, for role-playing as a, as a singular character. Um, and that's all we have, right? And uh, like if we go back in time, too, that this person has suggested, we don't really even have access to uh, dice other than D6s. Okay, we don't even, D6 isn't even a term, it's just dice, right? <laughs> so, so we, um, <laughs> we, we just talk about dice and everybody understands that those are cubed dice. Okay, what would the game look like? Well, I, I you know, the, the, the kind of Arnesonian method is basically, um, you roll t- 2D6 and I roll 2D6 and if you win, your version of reality prevails and if I win, my version of reality prevails and if we're close, we negotiate. Um, I've played in the Blackmore game with uh, Bob Meyer running it at GaryCon, so one of the original group, and we had very simple characters. If I recall correctly, we had um, a name, some gear, and a special ability. I don't think we even had stats. And the special ability was something we negotiated with the GM at the start of the game. So, like, my special ability was I could talk to animals. Um, and somebody else's special ability was that they could um, basically walk through walls or phase through walls. Or, no, they could, I think it was that, or they could see through walls. I can't remember which. Um, yeah, see through walls. And uh, so, you know, then as the game went on, <laughs> we, you know, we were playing that. And it was always hilarious because people that sort of pick the strongest powers, Bob seemed to like have a really easy way of, of making them not very powerful or like not what they thought. You know, it's kind of like be careful what you wish for. So the guy who could see through walls, he would look through a wall and say, what do I see? And Bob would be like, well, it's dark. <laughs> you don't see anything. You see darkness, <laughs> which was hilarious. All right. So, um, and uh, basically that just gave us something that we could do, right? It, it, um, like normally you couldn't even try that, but we could try that because we had that special ability. Otherwise, it was just rolling dice, man, and just kind of like storytelling um, and when you didn't know, you just sort of rolled some dice to see yes or no. And I think that part, you know, coming out of wargaming was there, right? Like there were rules in wargaming for attacks and damage and movement and uh, ranges and all that kind of stuff. But there were some times when things came up, like how hard is it to cross this river, right? Or if, there, well, usually there was movement rules like for... Um, 
for uh, like you know slowed movement through difficult terrain. But let's say you wanted to check the weather, right? And if there wasn't a weather table, you might just go, all right, I'm just going to roll a d6, and six is like the best day possible, and one is the most miserable day you could imagine, right? Um, and you roll a one, and then you go, okay, it's miserable, all right? Well, what does that mean? Um, and you think, well, like if you know what time of year it is, that tells you, right? Usually, like let's say it's spring. Okay, well, it's, it's raining cats and dogs, and everything's muddy, and the, and the river's high, so... Um, you know, you have to, anytime you cross it, you roll a D6 and you lose that many men or something. You just sort of invent things on the fly, right? And uh, that's, that's, that was, I think, I think, common. That, uh, and that was the referee's role, not the role of the two players who were competing, but it was the role of the referee who, um, to, to create um, a ruling so like, okay, here's here's how the dice are going to decide. And then to roll the dice to see how it goes. And that was, or to have a player roll the die to see how it goes. And I think that part of role playing, you know, has a really strong precedent in war games. That the sort of rulings and adjudication. That's why the original DMs were called referees, because that's what they're called in war, in war games. Um do I find, uh, so to get back to why I don't like the name. Okay, Kriegspiel, war game, right? Know, know what it means literally, I think. Um, also, I just, I feel like, I know this is this is wrong of me in some ways, but in these days with your kind of extreme alt-right um, crazies, I mean, there's crazies everywhere. Um, both both political sides have some crazies, and, and I'm not, uh, and crazy's not a very PC term. People of very extreme opinions and irrational opinions, um, and but I feel like in this day when white nationalism and uh, Nazism is kind of like making a resurgence, I don't really like uh, words like Kriegspiel because they they might baggage wise like you know they might uh, inf people might infer the wrong things from that, and uh, so I, and it just seems to me like a kind of a I don't know. It's also like a, a a border, setting up a border. Like if you have to know what that word means to get engaged in this process, right? Um, and uh, why not call it something else? Like you know, why not just call it like not D and D, right? Like what what if it weren't D and D? What would it look like? <laughs> um, why do we have to have a, a word that people have to investigate before they can get into the uh, the idea of making a game? making a role-playing game. Now, I ha I will say this. I feel like this has been done already. This is just a new way of saying it. Um, honestly, Dungeon World um, and, you know, like World of Dungeons especially, the kind of stripped-down version of it is is an example of a different way, like a, a way that, that storytelling games uh, might have uh, evolved differently um, if they were storytelling games and not, like, adventure games or war games or whatever you you know role-playing games whatever you like if they're if those terms mean something i'm not sure they do but you know there are different ways it, it could have gone um so it's it's a very interesting puzzle and i think as a design space it's a really really cool place to start and just say like i'm going to try to forget everything we've ever learned about role-playing games and see you know see what i can come up with um that's impossible to do, but you know, I want to do my best, right? It, it probably means like uh, every time I think of something 
if it's something I know from my experience with role-playing games, I'm going to reject that and think of something else, right? And keep thinking of something else until I think of something that didn't come from my experience of uh, role-playing games after 1977 or so. And that, you know, or 74, really. Anywho, um, neat, neat question. Um, I don't really have an answer for what I would do. I'm not really sure I would, will engage in the process, but I like what the idea, and I'm eager to see what other people do with it. And I think these kind of creative exercises are always up my alley. It's kind of fascinating to set a creative constraint for yourself and then to see it through to the end. So I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. Uh, by the way, uh, Cody mentioned... Ben Milton and his newsletter, which is called Glad Gladisent, I think it's with a T there, Gladisent, which is the name for one of the names for the Questing Beast, which is his uh, Ben's kind of brand, Questing Beast. You can find him on YouTube under that. But I think if you just Google Glad Gladisent, G L A T I S A N T, um, you'll find that newsletter and you can subscribe to it. It's free, so it has some neat things coming out through there. Um, and you can go back and see what this is all about and who all is involved in it and what they come up with. Thanks for listening to another Plundergrounds. I'm Ray Otis signing off. My opening theme music was written and performed by Logan Howard. And until next time, look out for those rest monsters.